Welcome to the Tradfest podcast, brought to you by the Temple Bar Company. Hello from Temple Bar, Dublin.
That opening track was Rain Dance, the title track of a CD by Shane Hennessy. And today I'm delighted to talk to that same Irish virtuoso guitarist, Shane Hennessy himself. And I actually think that's calling him a virtuoso guitarist is probably underselling the man. Virtuoso on concertina at one stage too, Shane. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, in, in, a, in a past life. You, of course, started out in traditional music and moved on to the guitar. I'd like to kind of, you know, you know plot that path with you uh, a little later through the chat here. Mm-hmm. But a little about your own background. You're actually in Carlo at the moment. Is that where you're from? Yeah, I'm from Carlo, uh, born and raised, uh, born in Dublin, uh, but obviously raised in Carlo. And uh, come from a, a long line of musicians. My, my father, Walter, is a musician. Um, people might know my uncle, Ollie Hennessy, as well. He's been involved in a lot of projects with RTE over the years. But even going back before that, uh, my grandfather had a big band uh, around and used to um, gig around uh, mainly Carlo, uh, Leash, Wexford, Wicklow. Uh, and even before that, his father started uh, the collection uh, Fife Band. Uh, from what I understand. So it's four generations of musicians now on the go. So it's safe enough to say that you're steeped in it, like? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and steeped in it from, from all angles. I mean, the, the, the trad music was something new to me in particular. But when I look at what my dad did, he was more into the kind of the pop rock scene at the time. When I look at my grandfather, he was involved in kind of more traditional jazz and swing. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting mix in that we've all had sort of uh, different musical... Uh, influences I suppose and we've all ended up performing different types of music So then musically where did you start? Well for me it was uh, Daddy Nanulog brought me uh, a concertina when I was uh, I think six years old you know like every other child you know I started off with the tin whistle and I tried the violin for a while at my mother's request and, and hated it and uh, I think it was because the teacher at the time that I had, uh, Mary Hutton, she was a, one of the primary school teachers in the Gale School in Carlo, and she played the concertina. And so then, you know, because the teacher had one, I think I wanted one. And uh, so uh, the Santa Claus brought me a concertina for Christmas. And I spent all of Christmas Day when I was about, I think, about five or six years old, sitting in the kitchen trying to work out tunes that I had in my head. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I didn't have any instruction at that time. I was purely going on the sound of the notes and trying to remember, OK, well, that sounds like the first note and this sounds like the second note and trying to piece them together. So I was over Christmas, I was teaching myself how to play the concertina. And then by the time school started again in January, I'd come in, I was already playing a, a tune or two. And it just it, it went on from there. I mean, the concertina and trad music was my only interest from that age up until I was about 12. So all I wanted, you know, like I was binging on Hall O'Reilly, Noel Hill, you know, Tim Collins, anything I could get my hand on, any concertina players, that's, that's what I wanted to listen to. That's fairly good company there in those three that you mentioned on concertina. I'm just, mm-hmm. back then to your family, you said your father, grandfather, great-grandfather were into a certain type mm-hmm. of music and all of that. Whose influence was it to get you to play a bit of trad then? Was that the mother? Uh, a little bit, but to be honest, I think it was mostly the school that I went to. I mean, um, Breeds of the Roche is, a, is a, a big name in Carlo in terms of the Irish language and Irish music as well. She organises or has a hand in organising the Pan-Celtic uh, competition that uh, happens um, happened for a lot of years um, in Carlo. And it was I think it was the last event that happened before the lockdown of this year. But uh, the, the trad influence is always very big in the Gael School, so almost all of us ended up playing... Uh, instruments uh, the whole way through 
um, when it comes to the influences that I had at home, I mean, my grandfather was always getting me to listen to Tommy Dorsey and Glenn Miller. My dad was always getting me to listen to, you know, uh, it could have been anyone from James Taylor to Steely Dan to Level 42. It could have been anyone and everyone. I mean, he has a very wide taste in music as well. Um, so I was I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was very lucky to have such a sort of a, a diverse pool to pick from musically when I was at that age, because I think a lot of people don't get to experience that the way I did. I think the word eclectic springs to mind there. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, certainly is a very, very broad range. You mentioned Michal O'Reilly and mm. I remember you played in Ratfarnham Castle at Tradfest and uh, on the same afternoon that you were performing, Michal O'Reilly was performing as well. Him on concertina, you on guitar. I hadn't known up to that. So you were quite chuffed to be there the same day as Michal. Absolutely. I, I remember in particular, I had just flown in that morning from uh, New Orleans. I think I touched down in, in uh, Dublin airport at six in the morning and the gig was at 12. Uh, so I was kind of running on coffee for that gig, but I actually hadn't seen Michal nor heard him play live in a number of years. So it was actually a pleasure just to be able to sit there for a while and listen to Michal play and, and catch up with him again because he was my um, teacher for about two years. I used to go up with my father to Kilteel in County Kildare where he would teach uh, every Monday night after school. And uh, I'd go up there to Hall, and there was a, a couple of one-on-one -on -one lessons and a couple of group lessons as well. Uh, but it was it was great to be able to uh, to, to relive that, however briefly. Um, it was great to be able to hear him play again. Uh, it's fantastic to have such an influence and such a... He's a leader himself and a pioneer, I suppose, mm -hmm. on the concertina. So it was fantastic to have that access to him as a young fella. Mm. When... I know you said you were around 12 then when you kind of looked at other kind of musics and that. Who did you look to at that age, let's say? Uh, for me, I suppose, the big influence uh, that I had was James Taylor in terms of picking up the guitar because... James Taylor, for whatever reason, uh, his sound really caught my ear. I heard him playing uh, Fire and Rain in a film that I saw on television. And I remember asking my dad, uh, you know, who's who's playing that? What is that music? And he said, oh, that's that's James Taylor. And I said, oh, I, I want to learn how to play that because I like the way that sounds. And he was saying to me, oh, you know, I can show you the basics on the guitar, but all of that finger picking stuff, he said, I can't do that. But I was a bit more stubborn and I decided, right, I'm I'm going to sit down now and I'm in front of the CD player. You know, before YouTube was a thing, before YouTube had that many videos on it, I sat down in the kitchen in front of the CD player with my guitar and I was doing my best to work out what James Taylor was doing. But I often tell people the reason that I feel I was able to do that is because of my background in trad. Because when you grow up playing trad and you learn the way I did, which was by ear, you, you get very good at picking out notes, picking out patterns, picking up on keys. And I think because I had that sort of training in Irish trad music, that's what gave me the ability to be able to pick out all the notes that James Taylor was playing on the guitar. So he was definitely the sort of the, the turning point for me when I when I kind of left the concertina behind me and I gravitated towards the guitar. It is one thing being able to recognise what's there and to see those patterns in the music, in the music but it's another thing to actually make it happen. So how did mm. you how did you persevere with that? It was a lot of trial and error, to be honest. I was I had great help in that my dad was he has a very good ear for music. So he was always able to let me know if something wasn't sounding right. Um, and I, I have a good ear myself, so I'd sort of know musically if something didn't sound right. But the technical side of it was a little bit more difficult. And to be honest, it was just sort of perseverance. Like one of the big things was 
I didn't really know what a guitar capo was, right? And most other guitar players starting off would learn how to use a capo and whatever else. I didn't know what that was. So I was trying to work all of that stuff out in standard tuning without using a guitar capo. So it was a little bit of a nightmare to begin with, but it was uh, just a case. I, I suppose the other thing that, that helped was that when YouTube started filling up with content around like 2006, 2007, that's when it really sort of kicked off. Um, then there were videos, then I could actually look at what James Taylor was doing and work out bit by bit, ah, oh, he's doing this, he's moving his hand up there, oh, he's got his capo on the third fret, oh, he's using his little finger there. So the visual aid helped as well, but all of the, the, the groundbreaking work, if you want to call it that, or putting the skeleton of it together, that all happened with just pure trial and error sitting in front of the CD player. And I, I think that I went through James Taylor's greatest hits, that album, um, I could probably still play it for you, cover to cover. Um, I learned every single song on it. And I still think that even, even though I've, I've progressed, obviously, to sort of my own style and a lot of other different influences, everything that I do is still built on the foundations that I, I sort of um, learned when I initially learned that James Taylor style. I, I, I look at my musical development as sort of scaffolding with trad on the bottom is definitely the foundation of the house. And then on top of that, you have James Taylor and sort of Jim Crochet and stuff like that. And then on top of that, we then move on to the likes of the Tommy Emmanuel, Chet Atkins, and it just kind of spiders out from there in a million different directions. It certainly does. But I was kind of taken by one phrase you used there when you mentioned about moving on to the guitar, about leaving trad behind or leaving the concertina behind. Did you? Mm. I did. Yeah, for, yeah. A, for a long time, I did. Um, and I now I have a concertina again that I play uh, and I play it for fun, um, you know, or maybe I'll take it odd, down to an odd session um, when they were on in, in Chuck Dolman here in Carlo. But yeah, for a very, very long time, I didn't pick up a concertina again. I think from the time that I picked up the guitar, I was very obsessive about it. So every day I'd get up, you know, before school. Uh, I'd be playing the guitar after I came back from school, you know, you'd, if there was homework or whatever, you'd get it done. And then straight away, I was on the guitar again. All of the school holidays, I was on the guitar and I treated it very, very obsessively. Um, so I had, you know, me at 13 or 14, I had no interest in, in then playing trad again because I was thinking I'm a guitar player now and I want to play all this other music or whatever. And it's a very, I suppose it's it's a more normal thing for a 13 or 14 year old to think because the guitar is exciting and it's new and there are all these different types of music. And it's only really in the last couple of years that I actually came back to trad again when I started getting taking an interest again in terms of arranging Irish music for the guitar. And then, you know, the, the interest came back in terms of, oh, you know, I could play some of these songs on the mandolin. I could play some of these tunes on, you know, whatever it might be. And eventually I came back to saying, oh, do you know what? I'd, I'd love to come back and, and actually play the concertina again. Um, so that's only been, for me, a fairly recent development. Um, but, you know, even though I didn't play any trad music for a long time, the, the kind of the wealth of musical knowledge that I got from it is actually what carried me through all of those years because I was using those skills sort of unbeknownst to me. I was using those skills to actually further myself as I, as I uh, went along my, my musical journey. So even though that trad was sort of left by the wayside for a while, it's been a great uh, you know, rediscovery for me over the last couple of years. I mean, one of the turning points for me definitely was um, I moved into a house in Dublin in around 2015 
with two fantastic musicians, um, Killian Doheny from uh, Moxie oh, and, uh, and, and, K- and Killian King as oh, well, uh, the Constantina player from Limerick. So the three of us sharing a house together, you know, it was like a little musical melting pot. And that's more than anything, it's those two lads and the kind of the circle they were involved with that really kind of reignited the, the love for, for trad within me again. That's just a, a phenomenal collection of musical talent there oh, when you mentioned great, the two. It was a great house to live in. Oh man, just sounds oh, yeah. so exciting. I know the guys, brilliant musicians uh, like yourself and all there making music together. I would just say that was fantastic. I say the neighbours loved you anyway. <laughs> they did actually, to be honest. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was, it was, uh, you know, we definitely were making music till all hours. Uh, I think that, I mean, the lads have really branched out in terms of, uh, in terms of their, their musical styles, but for us, you know, I mean, uh, I, I know that uh, Killian King at the time definitely had his, his recording set up and his, you know, he was getting into production and then Killian Doheny and the, the Moxie lads, um, they were, you know, they're off touring and they were coming up with new styles of music. And then I had my whole solo guitar thing going. So even though at, at times it felt like we were all coming and going, you know, that, it, uh, you know, there was never more than one of us there at a time, a, a lot of the times because we were all so busy. But when we were there, it was it was great in terms of bouncing ideas off each other and teaching each other. And so it really uh, it really helped on this this journey back to trad music for me. It certainly sounds very exciting anyway and a wonderful place to have been. Uh, you mentioned James Taylor and that you're kind of guitar playing and your the work that you do on guitar. That's the foundation of that or at least part of the scaffolding of that. Who else would have contributed to your development? So I suppose um, the other uh, big name for me when it comes to the guitar is Tommy Emmanuel. Um, and and I suppose just on a par with him would be Chet Atkins as well. I discovered Chet Atkins through Tommy Emmanuel. And again, that was uh, a sort of a YouTube discovery. Uh, I remember there's a cousin of mine who's a musician uh, in Dublin, Niall Brennan is his name. And he gave me a list of guitar players to look up when he heard that I'd started playing the guitar. And he had, um, you know, James Taylor, I told him about that already. So he gave me this list of players and I went through them bit by bit, you know, whatever I could find online or CDs or whatever. And one of them that stood out was Tommy Emmanuel because I looked him up online and I saw him perform on a radio show called uh, the Wood Songs Old Time Radio Hour. Um, It broadcasts out of Lexington, Kentucky. And I watched uh, an hour-long interview and performance with him, and I was just gobsmacked at what he was able to do on one guitar. So that very quickly became sort of an obsession for me in terms of, you know, realizing that I could do more with the guitar than just finger pick through chord changes and sing over it that I was thinking, oh, I could actually play melodies and bass lines and rhythms on the guitar, you know, without needing a band. Um, so then once I co- sort of started following his music, I natural curiosity said, well, you know, where has he found his influences? So I, then I found Chet Atkins, I found Jerry Reed, I found Merle Travis, I found all the, the um, you know, Doc Watson, all this this great tradition of American finger pickers um, that was, you know, they were the, the pop stars of the 50s and 60s um, and into the 70s in the States. Um, but it wasn't the style of music that I had come across. And of course, when I started playing Chet Atkins music, my grandfather, Mick Hennessy, he was <laughs> delighted because he was a huge Chet Atkins yeah. fan. So he used to get me to come to the house once a week just to play all of his favorite tunes for him. That's brilliant. Yeah, so that's, that's that brilliant. was the that was the the progression from from James Taylor onto Tommy Emmanuel and Chet Atkins, and and then once I had those sort of um, 
the, at least the basic techniques of all that stuff down I started just branching into writing my own music and and uh, you know trying to take in as many influences as I could on the guitar so that's that's where it sort of went from there Just to put uh, Tommy Emmanuel into some sort of line of guitar players let's say where, where does he rank uh, in world guitar playing? Oh for me he's he's at the top he's at the very very top because um, it's it's one thing is to learn how to play, say, the electric guitar or the acoustic guitar or whatever it might be in a certain style. And there are definitely people who are, you know, who can, you know, they can rip up the guitar and, and they can play it a million miles an hour and whatever else. But I've what got me about about Tommy in particular was that a he sounded like a full musical group on his own and b he was probably the most versatile. And to be honest, I think still is probably the most versatile guitar player. Um, that there is. I haven't found anyone else who can sit into any situation and play fluently, solidly, confidently, and musically. Um, most importantly, okay. Um, so, so for me, Tommy is very much at the top of the list. I, I feel like I walked you into that because I want to quote from Tommy Emmanuel uh, and what he says of Shane Hennessy. His words. <laughs> that Shane Hennessy transcends the guitar the same way as Muhammad Ali transcended boxing. Now, that's some <laughs> words from Tommy Emmanuel about your playing. I was there when he said that and I nearly died. It was at the Chet Atkins uh, Appreciation Society or the Chet Atkins Festival in Nashville um, just last year. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he was on the stage and um, he saw me at the side of the room and he started talking. And, and when he said that, I nearly died because, you know, he, he had been my and still is one of my musical idols from when I was, you know, 13 or 14 years old. And to have the person that I look up to the most in the guitar world say that, you know, publicly about me um, to an audience of whatever, 1500 people. Um, it was a, a really amazing moment. Um, and he's he's become a very good friend over the years as well. I think that the first time that I met Tommy, I was, I think, maybe 14 or 15 years old. And I didn't play for him at the time. I got to meet him. Uh, and I was thinking, wow, you know, I got to, you know, meet my musical idol and, you know, I got to hear him play the guitar up close and, and that was fine. But it was when I was, I think, 19 or 20, I got a message from him out of the blue saying that he'd, he'd listened to me online and that he really appreciated what I was doing and that I was, you know, had come up with these creative ideas for solo guitar playing. And he said, uh, you know, the next time I'm in Dublin, I'd love to meet up with you. And uh, so I said, great, you know, if that ever happens, I'd be delighted. And sure enough, he came through on his word. He, he emailed me when he had a, a gig sorted in the National Concert Hall in Dublin. And he said, uh, I'd love to meet up with you and I'd love if you came up and did a set during my show. And that kind of started a friendship that has lasted ever since that. Um, we've played together now in Europe and in the States. Um, and he's he's opened a lot an awful lot of doors for me as well. So I, ha I have him to thank for an awful lot of the success um, that I've achieved over the last couple of years because without him I, I don't really know what I'd be doing Well certainly high praise from the master for you there's no doubt about that Now I saw you playing in Milwaukee and there were what 28, 29 other festival organisers at the event a showcase event that you played and that was the first time I kind of got to really kind of get you uh, to hear you up close and personal as it were mm. I couldn't get over at one stage you were probably playing a little bit of maybe uh, O'Carlin or something and then maybe just after that you were playing Mark Knopfler is what I remember you playing mm. so so how do you make those decisions for me 
I think I've always played music that I like, regardless of what kind of area or genre I think that it might be in, because I think that there's only for me, it's on there's only good music and bad music, you know, or music that I like and music that I don't like. And so for me, I want to enjoy the gig as much as whoever is sitting in front of me. And I want to make sure that I'm being diverse and I want to make sure that I've that I'm kind of hitting a lot of bases musically. And it's not that it's not that I'm following a formula. It's purely that um, I know that, you know, I have a lot of music that I love. I have a lot of music that I love performing. And for me, it's I've always kind of made up the set as I go along. So when I go on stage, I don't know what's going to happen. The audience doesn't know what's going to happen. And I think for me, I feed off that energy. I feed off that kind of that surprise that you get if I'm playing, you know, I, I could be playing a, you know, a piece by, say, Beyonce. And then I'll follow that up straight away with an original piece that's like, you know, a, an Eastern inspired thing like Marrakesh. And I'll go from that into like a bluegrass tune that I'll sing over. Um, so I, I like to, to keep myself entertained as well as keeping the audience entertained as much as possible. And because I have such a, I suppose, a wide interest in different kinds of music, I like to pull out, uh, you know, whatever's in my head at the time that I think will work in the set. I always I think every musician has an idea of how a set is flowing or how it feels it's going. Um, but for me, um, you know, I always want to make sure that I'm putting on an entertaining show and uh, to really cover as many bases as I can, because unlike having a band where you can like, bring up the dynamics, bring down the dynamics, do an acoustic set or whatever, I'm one guy with one guitar and my voice and that's it so i have to hold people's attention if it's a full show it's it's you know nearly two hours of music um a lot of the festival sets tend to be 45 to 50 minutes so no matter where i am or who i'm playing to i want to make sure that i'm giving people a good time and covering all the bases uh, interesting too you should mention the band because that was one thing it was like a workshop you did at one stage on that mm. gig in milwaukee but the broadcaster marty whelan in lyric fm here couldn't quite believe what he was listening to uh, when he was listening to your music that it was a man on the guitar he brought you into studio to do a little bit he thought you'd have loops and tracks and recording mm. tricks and all that his jaw dropped he said he couldn't believe what you were doing one man and his guitar well, that's the thing. I, I think the biggest misconception about what I do is that I'm using kind of loops or backing tracks or any of that kind of thing. And I don't use anything like that. Um, I want to be able to do the same thing on the guitar sitting in front of you as I can when I'm up on a stage and I'm plugged into all the equipment and everything. But I don't want the you know, I don't want to have to rely on technology for backing tracks or you know uh, uh, loops have been very popular you know they, they come in and out of fashion again I think it was uh, Katie Tunstall set it off years ago and then Ed Sheeran did the same thing again a few years ago um, but for me I want to be able to do all that stuff without loops and I think that's at the root of it that's what captured me about the whole Tommy Emanuel Chet Atkins style to begin with is that you didn't need any other musicians or you didn't need any extra technology to actually achieve that sound on the guitar so it, it is very technical, but for me, I don't want an audience to see the technical side of it. You know, I want all the technique to be invisible. I just want the music to be there. And for me, that's that's what I aim for. You're sitting uh, in your home there in uh, Carlo at the moment. Do you have a guitar to hand? 
I certainly do. Uh, no, I know I, I've never uh, done this to anybody that's been on the podcast and asked them, but I know that uh, I've seen you online and your room, you're surrounded by all your equipment. Would you just mm. maybe take us through just a little of that sort of band sound that you generate when you're playing, maybe over the next minute or so? Absolutely. Brilliant, so brilliant. I'll just, I'll just grab my guitar. Okay. By the way, uh, what, what kind of a guitar is it? So the, the guitar that I have here is a, uh, I have a Kieran McNally guitar that I'm playing at the moment. This is a guitar built uh, by Kieran um, McNally in County Armagh. And this is only kind of a new development for me because for years I've been playing these uh, Maton guitars from Australia. And they are fantastic. But uh, I got in touch, or Kieran got in touch with me at the beginning of the year uh, saying that he'd be interested in building a guitar for me. And long story short, I tried them out and I completely fell in love with them. And I've, I've wanted an Irish guitar for years. Um, and I finally have one now. Excellent. Um, so it's, it's a pleasure to be able to play something that's built here. So let's just make sure. There we go. So, um... To bring you through the sort of the idea of what the uh, the band is essentially, um, I try to emulate a band when I play. So, for example, if in a band you had a keyboard player, the keyboard player might do something like this. Then you'd have a drummer. Then you'd have a bass player. And then you'd have the melody guy. tell the rest of the lads they can go home now <laughs> I save an awful lot of money <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal I have to say it's just brilliant I saw you do that live on stage in Milwaukee and I was just really so taken by it I thought it was well, absolutely I, I brilliant think, to be honest, that's, that's when the light bulb goes off for a lot of people is in that you know I play the first couple of tunes and I think people who aren't familiar with my style uh, they go oh that's not some that's some fast guitar playing or whatever but when i actually break it down for an audience and i say this is what's going on that's when the light bulb goes off for the first time for a lot of people and they go oh now i get it now i know what's going on now just before we started this chat today shane i was asking to know you know how have you been coping with the year so far because i know you had fantastic plans early on in the year and then of course uh, everyone kind of hit the wall but you've been incredibly busy you told me yeah, I've, I've been lucky, to be honest, in that when the when the pandemic hit and everything sort of ceased, uh, I think me, you know, I, like every other musician, sort of panicked for about two weeks and thinking, oh, what are we going to do for the rest of the year? Because uh, particularly in the US and Canada, I had such a busy year of touring lined up. I had very big promo opportunities. And of course, all of that went down the drain with the pandemic. So initially, uh, I said, right, the the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to stay in touch with as many people as I can by doing these live streams online. Um, so I was streaming uh, from Carlo here, um, from the kind of home studio that I've set up. And I was doing that every Wednesday initially. Um, and then the other thing I was, I was uh, focused on doing as well was um, I wanted to make sure that I wanted you know, to release 
uh, more music this year. You know, usually I release about an album every year, two years, and just when the pandemic was about to hit, I released my album Rain Dance. And uh, I thought it might be a good opportunity this year to to jump back into some of that Irish music, um, that you know the the trad music that had influenced me so much. So over the course of the pandemic, I've been uh, writing music, um, you know, original kind of trad music for the guitar, um, and uh, kind of doing my best to record it in my home setup. Um, I've been trying things out on live streams. I've been trying out new songs, new pieces of music. I was also lucky enough to get um, uh, the, uh, an award from the Arts Council, uh, the COVID-19 Crisis Response Award, which will be going towards um, this, this new album, Idzerhjol, that I'm going to release um, next month. Um, and then also I was lucky enough to be asked by the, the US Embassy in Dublin uh, to be part of their Creative Mind series. So that was a series of gigs that was filmed in the uh, Grand Social in Dublin. Um, and they got me in to talk about, you know, my influences um, from American artists and the, the influence uh, that music from America in general has had on me. Uh, but it's also given me an awful lot of time, aside from everything that I've been putting out. You know, this period has also given me a lot of time to work on you know, things that I've wanted to do for a long time and never had the time for because I was so busy touring. You know, I, I always wanted to, to do a, a grade eight exam in music theory and, and learn how to read music. I never had that skill before the pandemic. So even though I'm still a very slow reader, at least I can make things out now. And that's something that wouldn't have happened only for that I had this time to actually be able to use. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a busy time uh, for me in, in ways um, in, in other ways, I mean, I've never sp I haven't spent this much time in Carlo since I was about 16 or 17, I'd say. Uh, but it's been nice to be able to jump into a couple of different musical projects and also to be able to work on these other projects in the background as well. Uh, I know that you had you hit some phenomenal numbers in your Ireland performs performance, if I can put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, through Culture uh, Ireland. Yeah, the, the, the Culture Ireland live stream was was uh, particularly good because I decided to tie in my um my uh, album launch with that with the Ireland Perform series um, and I, I saw afterwards the numbers were up in the thousands of, of people watching that so I was really really happy that you know people were tuning in from all over the world um, to watch that so it was I mean it was a great opportunity um, from Culture Ireland and I'm really thankful that they've been um, so supportive to me I mean they've, they've supported a lot of my uh, touring in the United States and it's great to see that the, the the level of support is still there even at you know or especially at such a difficult time for um, artists of all kinds. You're also involved in a bit of education? Absolutely yeah so I've, I've always um, kept up uh, you know, what would you call it sort of private tuition um, I never sometimes I'd be doing it on the road in between concerts um, you know, I, I, all I really need is a laptop and a guitar and I can teach on Zoom or Skype or whatever from anywhere. But I've also joined up with Truefire, uh, which is a, a digital um, learning company in the USA. And they take on, you know, guitarists, the likes of um, Tommy Emmanuel or Andy McKee or Robin Ford in the blues world. They'd all be big names among in the sort of guitar scene. But they asked me at the beginning of all of this, um, when the pandemic hit, if I'd be interested in joining them as an educator. So I've also got a channel there now as well where um, people pay a subscription every month and then they get exclusive act access to teaching videos from me that they can do at their own pace. And obviously new videos go up on that. And uh, how can people find that, by the way, Shane? 
They can find that by going to truefire.com and going to channels or educators and they'll find my name in there, Shane Hennessy. So when they go in there, they'll be able to find uh, the channel that I've just launched, which is called the Fretboard Atlas. I'm also working on courses there for um, like an, an intro to fingerstyle guitar, an intro to Irish trad accompaniment is one that we're working on as well. So it's, it's, it's nice to be able to do that because I've always found that in teaching people, I nearly learn as much myself as the student does. Because sometimes, particularly for me as a self-taught musician, there are a lot of things that crop up that you don't really think about, that you just sort of do. And it's only when somebody questions you about them afterwards, your brain kind of lights up and goes, oh yeah, I've, I've always done it this way. Why do I do it this way? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's a pleasure for me to be able to do it as well. You're also, I believe, going working, you are in the middle of working on a project with Liz Doherty, are you? Yes. Um, so in uh, about two weeks time uh, in uh, Roundstone in Galway, uh, we'll be filming a piece called Saulu. And uh, it's a piece that um, that uh, that will involve me uh, playing a lot of my own original music, uh, as well as some, um, some kind of... Uh, what would you call them, sort of short films or short uh, documentary pieces interspersed in between as well. I know that Tommy Tiernan is going to be the main character in it. Um, so it's, it's my first time working on music for television. Um, I've never had to work to a brief before and I've never had to work to where, you know, pieces of music are, are timed uh, to certain transitions and things like that. So that's, that's a new experience. Uh, for me as well and it's it's something I hope to get more into in the future to be honest uh, When you mentioned Roundstone there actually I think of Bill Whelan down at that part of the world of course you did work with Bill because he was the man who wrote Riverdance Absolutely yeah and Bill is actually involved in this project as well it's, that's only something I learned yesterday uh, but he's also in, involved in writing a big uh, I think the finale uh, for this piece Saulu um, he's writing the music for that but I've, I've worked with Bill in the past. Um, Business to Arts had their 30th anniversary about two years ago and they commissioned Bill to write a piece for me, um, a pianist from Dublin named Moira Carroll and Crash Ensemble, a quartet. Um, and uh, that featured uh, 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 Cora Venus Lunny um, and Ethan Ivrian, uh, Nozomi Cohen and Kate Ellis, so, you know, four unbelievable musicians. But it was my, again, it was a first for me in terms of working with that sort of ensemble and also working from sheet music for the first time. And I'm very lucky that my partner, Aoife, um, is really, she's a fantastic musician, um, but she's very adept at uh, you know, sight reading and helping me make sense of a of a musical score. I, th I think I nearly gave Bill a heart attack about two weeks before our first rehearsal because I told him that I couldn't read music. <laughs> so he sent me a. Uh, he ended up sending me the MIDI output that he had from his uh, from his software. So I, I learned the piece off of that, and uh, and then uh, recreated it. You were able to use your concertina ear for that then. Well, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, and and, and to be honest, that has. That has saved me so many times, that ear, because as most musicians know, you end up in these situations where you're told one thing and all of a sudden, sometimes through no fault of your own, something different happens and you just have to adapt straight away. So I'm lucky that if I hear something starting in a different key or starting in a different place or whatever, all of those, all of those skills that I got from learning trad music. And, and in particular, I think the fact that within uh, trad music, that from a young age, 
we tend to learn about different time signatures and different modes. They're not necessarily explained to us when we're learning it that way. We just accept them as what they are. But I found it particularly useful deciphering other musical cultures, you know, where somebody might make a big deal of playing modally as opposed to in a major scale or a minor scale or something. And that's something that comes natural to people who are steeped in trad from a young age. So I'm, I'm very, very lucky in that, you know, I still make sense of the world you know in in that trad is sort of my true north when it comes to um when it comes to performing and uh, and learning very refreshing to hear that we've been asking people shane here on the podcast what they've been listening to during lockdown but i think you've been listening to just about everything is there anything you would just kind of sit and listen to just to allow your mind to kind of relax oh it's, it's anything and everything with me i mean uh I suppose when I when I really started jumping into a lot of trad music, um, you know, kind of looking for inspiration for this this new album, Idrichol, um, I sort of I, I went back to where I left off uh, when I was younger with trad music. So I instantly went back to my old concertina albums. Um, I started listening to those again. And an- another um, album that I or two albums that I love are the albums that um, Ian Carr and Karen Tweed did together. I think they are absolutely stunning albums in terms of their musicianship. Uh, the Goat Rodeo Sessions, I was listening to an awful lot of those. Chris Healy, Yo-Yo Ma, Stuart Duncan. Um, there's, there's an artist from Lebanon that I've been listening to an awful lot. Her name is Tania Saleh. And uh, she has an amazing, like there was a, a tune, I, I think it was Carl Corcoran played it on the radio. And uh, she has a tune called Beirut Windows. And it's just one of those pieces of music that just makes you stop and just takes your breath away. Um, and, and, you know, diving into all these different worlds of music, I think, is very healthy because it means that, at least for me, my ears don't get bored. If I find that if I listen to too much, say, bluegrass or Americana music or might be jazz or whatever it might be, um, there's, there's so much, at least personally, that I can take before my ears need a break and I need to listen to something different. So I find it very helpful in, in listening to uh, vocalists in particular. Um, my ears never seem to get bored of that. Um, so I've been listening to an awful lot of um, you know, people like Sierra Hull, uh, Molly Tuttle. Um, Jake Workman has a new album out, a bluegrass album, which is fantastic. So I've, I've been listening to, I suppose, anything and everything um, during lockdown. And, and, and the, uh, the sort of the prevalence of live streaming as well in the last couple of months has been great to be able to watch some of my favourite musicians uh, just set up in their living room and, and, and jam away, you know, to be able to throw a fiver or a tenor into the tip jar here and there and sort of help out whoever I can. But it's been fantastic when nothing else is happening in Carlow Town on a Friday or Saturday night to be able to tune in to all these, you know, brilliant musicians in all different parts of the world and be able to watch them instead. Well, I know that you've been very generous with your time too with the artists who are performing online and trying to get to grips with the whole sort of technical side of that. Mm. And you, you early on, you, you mastered that particular... Th- uh, element of your performance yourself yeah I, I i put a lot of time into it because for me i'm a real stickler for uh you know getting things to sound right um you know that's why my even though it's just me and a guitar my sound check you know i always demand that there's you know an hour given for the sound check because i really want to ring out a room and get all the frequencies out and get the guitar sounding as good as possible so i wanted it exactly the same way for the live streams so I did a lot of tinkering around for about a week and a half until, I, you know, and was tearing my hair out some days. But eventually I, I sort of cracked the code as, as, as far as getting the, uh, getting the sound right. And it seems that that video has helped an awful lot of people. 
um, in terms of, you know, how to set up their equipment properly and how to connect and how to overcome, you know, bad Wi-Fi issues and stuff like that. And uh, as I said at the beginning of that video, I'm very much not an expert. I've just found something that works. Um, so it, it was a pleasure to be able to help people. Like I know that there's a, a group at the moment in New Ross who I think are fantastic. Their names are Maka, three sisters uh, down there, Nisha, Searsha and Kira Carty. And they're brilliant trad musicians, like r stunning musicians. But uh, they were having a lot of issues initially. You know, they were just setting up an iPhone, iPhone in the corner of the room and jamming away. And when they started using their equipment, they were running into the same issues as everyone else. So I made sure to get in touch with them, help them out with their setup. And now their live streams, I mean, they're, they, they sound fantastic. Um, so it's, it, it was a pleasure to be able to help, you know, uh, people kind of early on to get the sound right. Because in a sort of a selfish way, I always want the sound to be right. So if I can help someone else get it right, I'll enjoy it even more as well. Well, fair play to you. As we say in Claire, a decent man. No question about that. <laughs> Thanks Finally, Shane, we're going to wrap now. But the date of the launch of Either Kjol, can we expect that uh, anytime soon? Absolutely, yes. So I'm going to get this out the second week of December that's going to come out. I'm, I'm expecting uh, December the 8th, which will be a Tuesday. Um, I'll have Either Kjol out and uh, ready to, to listen to. And I'll also be doing a, a stream around that time as well to sort of premiere the album. Um, so that'll probably happen later in that week. I'm looking at around the 11th or the 12th for that stream as well, 11th or 12th of December. Right. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to getting it out because up to now, the only kind of, I, I've only ever really performed trad pieces during my live shows. I actually haven't recorded all that much of it. A couple of things tinged in trad here and there, but this is the first time that I've actually decided to sit down and, you know, compose music and arrange music. Um, for the guitar in, in that kind of trad style so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting it out there well and uh, in keeping with the trad theme sure December the 8th a great shopping day <laughs> do you know something I didn't even think about that <laughs> well, fair, fair. I, was, I had it backwards I was thinking of January the 6th you can no look the man the great <laughs> well you'll have all that time to work on it anyway Shane Hennessy it's a pleasure to talk to you and thanks a million for joining us here on the podcast uh, thanks a million, Kieran. It's great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Tradfest podcast. For more information on Tradfest, go to tradfest.ie. Tradfest is brought to you by the Temple Bar Company.